Audio Journal, February 10th, 2024, with Richard Beatty. Imaginable. If you are not driving or operating heavy equipment, could you close your eyes and think about where you will wake up on February 10th, 2034? It is a psychology exercise that helps people to stop narcissistic behavior and allows us to see our future more objectively. It also is a tool to set objectives, research, and development by imagining what could be and what we can do about it. Will there be social media? Will there still be radio? How will AI be used and what are the pitfalls and the benefits? What will media be like? And what will we be driving? Are electric cars sustainable? Will you be able to travel from Fort Collins to Raton Pass by train? Will there still be social security left? And what will health care be like? be need for higher education? And where will people get their news? I'm writing this on a cell phone. In fact, the media that you and I consume is often read, listened to, and viewed on a small screen with tiny speakers. In my small nonprofit company, we digitize master tapes that I replay, edit, and master from powered speakers. We record in high-definition sound to be shared with others. Imagine Igor Stravinsky giving his classic lecture, The Poetics of Music, in a room that had studio-quality sound. Imagine the original cast of West Side Story in an audio theater in your town. Imagine you were at the Denver Folklore Center on 17th and Pearl listening to Furry Lewis sing and play the Delta Blues. Imagine that just before feeling of opening an album for Joni Mitchell, Miles Davis, or the Beatles. And the artwork is in your hands. The lyric sheet or booklet is ready for you to get set and listen on studio-powered speakers with a cup of your favorite beverage in a room designed for your listening pleasure. With listening room technology, live music with a set from a small stage, a musician you came to hear or recorded live from another time and space, from a place that you only heard about before your time. And now you're here. Welcome to the listening room. Son, pass the baton, days of an era gone. Gone, not most, count the cost, the good and bad we pass on. Words slip through this Son, pass the baton. Days 
driving home from my hometown during the holiday weekend. My family was sleeping in the car. I had the radio turned off, so my mind was thinking. My name is Richard Beatty. I get paid to think. I was watching as cars careened around me at 90 miles per hour, or in some cases more. They were going in and out of the express lane, or as I call it, the Audubon. (laughs) At first, I was multiplying how much revenue the state would make in video fines. And then I decided to change my attention to bumper stickers. Years ago, I wrote a column on bumper stickers and what they say about the person driving the car. I began to count the cars that were passing me on my left and right. The first 62 cars had no bumper stickers at all. Then a ragged RAV4 had two stickers. The first was like a Colorado license plate with the word native. The other looked like an insurance logo. So I made a mental note and resumed counting. In the end, I tallied over 1,200 cars and counted seven bumper stickers. This may alarm our friends at Sticker Mule, but maybe not. I wondered how many drivers a day listen to the radio, music, podcast, or an audiobook. Years ago, there was a rash of radios being stolen from New York City cars. There was also a number of bumper stickers that read, No Radio in Car. That alarmed many broadcasters. I admit I am not a buyer of bumper stickers. I know people who have had their cars damaged and vandalized because they wore their political leanings on their bumpers. What does a decrease in bumper stickers tell us about our culture? I think it's like the polls. People are fearful of being canceled if they show their affiliations to a team, a party, a religion, or a nationality. We have become macro and megaphobiacs in a world where stigmas of common decency have become extinct. 
and surveys and polls have run amok of dishonest and fearful numbers that are inaccurate snapshots of who really wins. And until we refuse being intimidated, the erosion of hope, peace, love, and joy will continue to be sandblasted from our hearts, minds, and car bumpers. I'm Richard Beatty. Email your thoughts, paidtothink at gmail.com. That's paidtothink at gmail.com. I feel like playing anything else me now, you know, got me up. There's one time you're gonna sit up all night. Yeah. 
Mama's Creek, Harry Allen River Rap, Round the Lake, Seven Axes, Seven Mons, Family, Family, Baby. What's, a, what's an easement? Hmm? What's an easement? You say I'm a natural born easement on the road again. Well, you can say anything. You can say I'm a natural born engineer. I'm a natural born fireman. Just anything, just to rhyme it up. See, you just rhyme that up. I can say I'm a natural born fireman. I'm on the road again. Yeah, this is this good to say on Nashville Eastman. Hello, this is Richard Beatty. You're listening to The Sound Century. In 1926, Sir Harry Lauder re-recorded a classic. It was first performed in December of 1916 when he was backstage getting ready for a performance. Lauder received a telegram that gave the news that his only son John was killed in battle during World War I. Lauder sang it for troops of the UK in World War I and World War II. 
and throughout his long career. I'm Richard Beatty. This is Sound Century. echo to the songs and laughter of Scotland's most popular ambassador. Thousands crowd Hamilton as the Harry Lauder reaches the end of the road. Oh, it happened in Vienna not so very long ago when not enough folks were getting sick that a starving young physician tried to better his position by discovering what made his patients tick. Oh, Dr. Freud, oh! Dr. Freud, how we wish you had been differently employed. For this set of circumstances sure enhances the finances of the followers of Dr. Sigmund Freud. He forgot about sclerosis but invented the psychosis plus a hundred ways that sex could be enjoyed. He adopted as his credo, down repression, up libido. That was the start of Dr. Sigmund Freud. Oh, Dr. Freud, oh, Dr. Freud. How we wish you had been differently employed. For this set of circumstances sure enhances the finances of the followers of Dr. Sigmund Freud. He analyzed the dreams of the teens and libertines. He, substitu he substituted monologues for pills. He drew crowds just like Will Sadler. When along came Jung and Adler, they said, by God, there's gold in them our hills. <laughs> oh, Dr. Freud, oh, Dr. Freud, how we wish you had been differently employed. For this set of circumstances sure enhances the finances of the followers of Dr. Sigmund Freud. They encountered no resistance as they served as Freud's assistants, and with ego and with id they deftly toyed. Instead of toting bedpans, they bore analytic deadpans, those ambitious doctors Adler, Young, and Freud. Now the big three have departed, but not so this thing they've started. It's been carried on by many a goodly band. And to trauma, shock, and war shock, someone went and added roar shock. The thing has got completely out of hand. Oh, Dr. Freud, oh, Dr. Freud, how we wish you had been differently employed. For this set of circumstances sure enhances the finances of the followers of Dr. Sigmund Freud. I hope nobody will take offense. I don't really mean to be unfair. As I, my best friends, as they say, are, well, uh, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Well, I guess everything's borrowed. Uh, there was never a folk song that was just written whole cloth. Somebody sitting down says, now I'm going to write me a folk song. They try and do it on Tin Pan Alley, but in fact, they try and do it. Long hair composers try and sit down and say, folk song is simple, I can write it. And they always fail. And the reason is they don't swipe enough. You have to have an older song to change around. It's like the cowboy who knew an old English sailor song called Bury Me Not on the Deep Blue Sea. And by the time he was finished with it, you know how it turned out. Or, oh, hundreds of other songs. In other words, a folk song, anyone we know, we usually had a granddaddy and a great-great-granddaddy going probably right back to prehistoric days. 
with verses borrowed here and tunes borrowed there. And this particular one, I don't know where or exactly how it was borrowed. Once upon a time, I believe it was in old England, uh, you can come across it in Professor Child's famous collection of English ballads, number 263 or something like that. But that doesn't seem to matter too much. The person who sang this uh, didn't know all the verses, and he changed around the tune and came out something like this. Johnson Jinkson riding along fast as he could ride when he thought he heard a woman he heard a woman cry Johnson getting off his horse searching the woods all around when he came upon a woman with her hair pinned to the ground Woman, dearest woman, who brought you here for the span? Who that brought you here this morning with your hair pinned to the ground? It were three bold and struggling men with swords keen in hand. Who that brought me here this morning with my hair pinned to the ground? Johnson being a man of his own, being a man and bold, he'd taken off his overcoat to cover her from the cold. Johnson getting on his horse, the woman getting on behind, then they rode down that lonesome highway, their fortunes for to find. They were riding all alone, fast as they could ride, when she threw her fingers to her lips and gave three shivering cries. Outsprung three bold and struggling men with swords keen in hand, who that commanded Johnson, commanded him to stand. I'll stop then, said Johnson, I'll stop then, said he, for I never was in all my life afraid of any three. Johnson killing two of them, not watching the woman behind, while he was at the other one, she stabbed him from behind. The day was free in a market day, the people all passing by, who that saw this awful murder and saw poor Johnson die. Don't ask me what it means. I, perhaps part of the charm of a song like that is you have to be left trying to figure it out. Uh, and like I say, it's been borrowed from so many different generations. It's no wonder it's gotten changed. You know what they say about borrowing? What is it? You swipe from one person, it's plagiarism. Swipe from 10, it's scholarship. <laughs> swipe from 100, and it's original research. Uh, Hi, everybody. Richard Beattie. And you're in the listening room on Legends. That's what it is all about. <laughs> the sound of Pete Seeger. 
February 12, 1957, a year before I was born, Seeger at Dartmouth, and you're in the audience. That's from our Sound Century Library. For many people, imagination is a highly visual process, and we see those visions in our minds and going 10 years ahead uh, and you think that if there were listening rooms all around that you could actually listen to a, a concert like Pete Seeger in 1957 or you can listen to a musician now and the sound would be so good those are the things that are missing in media now uh, we're listening on little speakers, tiny speakers in a, from a cell phone now, and we're missing that listening room experience. <laughs> That's what it's all about. The irony is that February 12th, 1957, and when you're listening to this, it's February 10th, 2024. So where will we be? February 10th, 2034. Scientists call this form of imagination episodic future thinking. It's used to develop new programs and this, the listening room, was developed using that exercise. It's called mental time travel sometimes and you have the soundtrack to your own mental time travel and your own movie right now. 